Welcome, dear listeners. I'm Jonathan Carlin. And I'm Ben Carlin. And we invite you to join us through the Gryffindor, your one-way ticket to the enchanting world of Harry Potter. So grab your wands, dust off your broomsticks, and join us as we unlock the secrets behind Philosopher's Stone Chapter 10, Halloween. Oh, man. man. In the real world here, as we're recording this, it's like one week after actual Halloween. <laughs> I know. I know. Literally, as I was I was looking at our slate, I was like, oh, my gosh, we're going to hit the Halloween episode on Halloween, and then we'll hit the uh, Christmas episode on Christmas, and it's going to be so great. And then I just did my week math wrong, and in fact, we, we missed Halloween by one week. But either Your which week way, math is weak. My week math is, yeah, incredibly yeah, weak. That's what rather, I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes, indeed. Um, unlike this chapter, which I will say, as I, as I cracked into Bacon. it i got in through the first few pages and i was like man i don't know if there's just something like off about my like the way i'm like listening today or like reading today but like i'm i'm i don't have like a lot of like notes or marks that i'm putting down and then i got past the first three pages and i mean it's just like obliterated I had, yes i had like the same thing i was like man I, maybe not as much as happening it's just like we're sort of explaining the rules to quidditch here i guess you know that's just pretty straightforward that just has to be there yeah you know and, yeah. um there's that uh, actually it was sort of funny um last night I've, i don't know if i've mentioned it on this podcast yet but i've started reading my son this exact book uh, my oldest son, Luke. I cannot believe that you timed it out such that, yeah, w- while we're doing this particular podcast, you're also giving it like a read through to your son for the it first just time. Sort of, it just sort of worked out. I wasn't really sure. I wasn't like planning like, okay, I am I am counting down the days. Luke is officially ready. But like we have um, a bunch of different copies of the like books at my house. And like he knows that some of them are his because once upon a time, you and I got invited to uh, London to like host the thing for Pottermore. We did. Which yeah, we was. Got, we got to be on the front page of Pottermore yeah. one day, which yeah. was which was amazing and like you know like a bucket list item check. So cool! But while we were there, they took us to like all of the Harry Potter stops like around London, including Platform Nine and Three Quarters. And at this point, Luke was like six weeks old or something. He had like just been born, so uh, he was very fresh. But like you know, me and Beth were you know chatting. It was like no, you you have to go to London. You know, if if Google and Pottermore are asking you to do something, you probably have to do that. Yeah. So yeah. we we did the trip and. While we were at platform nine and three quarters, I was like, oh my gosh, I can buy Luke his very first Harry Potter book ever from the the store, the the platform nine and three quarters in London. I know it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, so there, there, you actually have an amazing vlog where you talk about this yeah. exact thing. It's very emotional. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, if you want to see me get really emotional about buying Luke his first book or if you want to see me even more emotional reading this book, you could just watch me read it to him because, oh my gosh, I get a certain passages. and I'm like, I can't. I can't. This is hard. Oh my God. It's such a big moment. Oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> She's sharing this with Luke right now. Oh gosh! I <laughs> uh, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, I think I think the number one thing uh, when when expecting our daughter Addison was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get to read her the books one day. I so. know. Uh, yeah. Good luck with that. Um, but so yeah, I, the, when we were there, it was also the 20th anniversary of uh, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, which is part of why we were there. Um, yes. I think. Um, and. So they had these 20th anniversary books out, which come in like different house varieties. So you can buy like the Gryffindor set of books or the Hufflepuff set of books. And I suddenly was like faced with trying to choose which house book was going to be Luke's first one. Right. And it was like, I was like, I stood in that store for like 30 minutes, <laughs> like not knowing what to do and finally settled on uh, the Gryffindor uh, set of books because he had come out of the NICU and I was like, he's so brave. He's so brave. So that that's his very first Harry Potter book. And that's the one we're reading to him. 
uh, now. But as it were, uh, last night, I just read him chapter nine. Um, and so tonight we'll be reading chapter 10. So I was like, I'm going to read this chapter twice today. <laughs> How about that? That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so as, as we said, I mean, Halloween's rather interesting uh, within the, the wonderful wizarding world because it is it is known to be a rather eventful occasion for Harry and company. It is. There's yeah. almost always something happens on Halloween, which is like notable because it is also the date on which Voldemort attacked Harry as a baby. Right. And so you almost wonder if it's like a like a mildly cursed. Yeah. Cursed like day like is something. there a cursed cursedness about it? Like in the same way that like the Defense Against the Dark Arts position is cursed. Right. But, yeah. 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 That's that's a good question because yeah, eventually we'll see. Um, I think like the the. Uh, nearly headless Nick's death day party will be on this occasion. Does Sirius Black enter the castle in, in Sirius Black does, yeah, break into the castle on book three. On book four is when Harry's name comes out of the Goblet of Fire. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So um, it's like, what's interesting about that is that the Sirius one is like the complete opposite. Like Sirius is like, like one of Harry's greatest allies, but the other, the other, at least for the first four books, all the other ones are like almost Voldemort direct related incidents. Yes, they absolutely are. Yeah, which is which is kind of fascinating. Yeah. So anyway, without any further ado, let's let's dive on into Chapter Ten, Halloween, um, where we we're sort of coming on the heels of the the Midnight Duel, um, where Harry, Ron, mm-hmm. Hermione, and Neville have just sort of like ventured out into the castle in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. You're sort of getting a feel for like the different ways in which the different characters uh, might react to such, you know, um, rule breaking, yeah. if you will. Obviously, Hermione takes it incredibly difficult and and sort of like, you know, you start to see the the, the even greater uh, valley being forged between Harry and Ron and their relationship with Hermione, uh, which obviously will, will yet to be filled in in this same chapter. But yep. um, obviously, that's a really big one. Neville himself also is sort of continuing to demonstrate like a little bit more of his overall just Maybe cowardice. Like coward, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like a little bit, you know, like I, I don't like, think he's really stepped into not quite. He's very much like I didn't want to be there. The entire experience was the worst and I don't like dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, like, I'm not even remotely curious what that dog is guarding. It's right. like, whatever it is. Totally fine. You keep on guarding it. <laughs> meanwhile, Harry and Ron are like, let's do it again. Let's have another wild adventure. That was the coolest thing ever. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So um, they're 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 all jazzed about it. Then, of yeah. course, uh, shortly thereafter, you know, they go down to uh, the Great Hall for breakfast where the um, arrival of a large parcel being carried by no fewer than, is it six Screech Owls? Yeah, I uh, think so. Which, which will, of course, be um, Harry's Nimbus 2000. Oh, yeah. Along with, a, uh, along with a letter, which, you know, the letter almost, it feels like they could have like sent him a letter and been like, hey, can you come by my office later It today? does seem like this was not the way to do it. <laughs> yes, yeah, especially because here's the other thing, too. It's like, you know, do not open the parcel at the table. It contains your new Nimbus 2000, but I don't want everybody, like, knowing you've got a broomstick or they'll all want one. Um, this is like one of those things where it's like, this is not really a secret that needs to be kept necessarily. Like the word is is starting to get out anyway. And also yeah. like the very thing that they're bending the rules for is a school wide and, and attended event, which is Quidditch. Right. So like, like people ev- are going to know Harry was yeah, like got or has a broomstick. Has a broomstick. He's breaking the first year rule and also is on the Quidditch team. So it's right. like it's like if what they it seems like maybe what they don't want them to know is that like the school bought him the broomstick, but then absolutely, yeah, it just should have been like, uh, Potter, could you stay behind after Transfiguration? Right. You right. know, <laughs> like, this this is like an interesting one though to me though as well because like um and and I wrote some notes down here because like when when um McGonagall takes. Harry to talk to Oliver after catching the remember all in the first place. 
Um, Oliver just sort of like offhandedly is like, Professor, we'll have to get him a broom. You know, like as if this is just something that like Quidditch captains can sort of like dictate. Yeah. But like the the fact that it's not just any broom, it's like, you know, currently the best broom that happens to be on the market um, and that it's specifically from McGonagall. Like I, I'm, I have mixed feelings about it in every which direction because what I almost want to be the case here is that like McGonagall, who was a uh, like a famously stern character, I sort of just like the, the idea that like maybe she's got like you know a little bit of empathy for both like harry's circumstances her own remembrance of like his parents maybe some like like um appreciation for the role that he played in the downfall of like voldemort like i almost like to think that this is just quite literally a kind moment being demonstrated on behalf of of one minerva mcgonagall yeah not and not just outright favoritism and not just outright favoritism which i mean certainly on some level it feels like it is like even the fact that there are school brooms it's like I, I i it's kind of like it feels like if there are just school brooms and it seems like in other instances harry is required to fly a school broom when i think his nimbus has been destroyed maybe he's received the firebolt yeah but, but like, isn't hasn't been allowed cleared to play so has to practice with the school brooms with the school brooms yeah, yeah which was like, like there you know, was an option and they were like no 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 no. those won't be good enough for uh, we can't let one of the one of the actual players ride on one of the school brooms unless they don't have their own and um, uh, our rules don't work. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah, 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 exactly. So anyway, I mean, there, there, I, there's something that I always really enjoy about a character who is notoriously uh, like kind of stiff in nature, but has like a kind or like gooey moment a little bit. So anyway, that's that's sort of what I what I I'd like to think happens here. But yeah, my own personal head cannon. Yeah, but uh, also the the even even being wrapped up as a broomstick doesn't seem like it fools anybody for even one hot second. Malfoy immediately is like, that's a broomstick. Yeah, and it basically cuts him off like the moment he leaves. Yeah, yeah it's like and it's uh, not only that. This is this is the second time in what two and a half pages that Malfoy has been like convinced Harry is about to get kicked out of school. They're like, I don't like I have noticed before just like listening through the absolute Absolute obsession Malfoy has with Harry in there, the first year. There like, can be no doubt. He, it is like consuming all of his thoughts. Like I, I love the opening sentence of this uh, chapter too. It's just that Malfoy couldn't believe his eyes when he saw Harry and Ron were still at Hogwarts the next day, looking tired but perfectly cheerful. Like in his mind, he has just like oust. Like his his goal was to oust Harry from Hogwarts and effectively the entire wizarding world by tricking him out of bed one night. One like, time. This yeah. is this I, is this is eleven year old Malfoy's plan. He's like, I'm just, I'm gonna just defeat Harry Potter right now. I'm gonna get him out of bed and that's it. That'll be the end of him forever. <laughs> See, it, but here's the thing too is that it's like I think that what's happening is is something that you can witness in a lot of like early uh like relationships as well. Like, you know, as you're as you're sort of like going through your early, you know, foundational years and, and kind of like having those first like crushes or whatever the case may be but like rejection not that Malfoy necessarily has a crush on Harry but I mean <laughs> he doesn't not Ben <laughs> yeah right yeah, it's like he certainly has taken notice of him um, but I think that what's happening here you know is that, that Malfoy has extended that hand in friendship which uh, you know Harry basically was like no and so I think that like it, it doesn't necessarily surprise me because like you know that that sense or feeling of rejection can oftentimes lead to this sense of like like need to prove oneself in some other you know mm -hmm. capacity. Oh, it's not only was he rejected by Harry, but Harry is effectively filling the role he thought he would have at school. He and 
if Harry wasn't there this year, he pretty much would have that role. We, yeah, we, yeah, we've said it over and over again. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious because it's like, you know, we always see Malfoy as the adversary to Harry, but Malfoy seems to be pretty universally liked by just about everybody else who, who like, it doesn't seem like Malfoy deals with the struggles that you might expect from somebody that is obviously just being a bully all the time right you know it's like it's almost much more like he's like the super popular kid who's decided like i mean this is i mean again this is james potter's dislike of snape right you know it's like people don't didn't dislike james potter for his distaste of snape you know that he like he was still renowned he was still oh that's the, such an interesting comparison like james is to snape as draco is to harry yeah yeah and it's like otherwise yeah it's like no one remembers james potter as like some bad guy at school Right. No, yeah. not at all. I yeah, mean, Draco exactly. does become a Death Eater, so there's that. There's that, but yeah. I mean, he eventually comes around. He doesn't get quite that. He doesn't get the. I mean, we'll we'll talk about it way, 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 way more in Deathly Hallows. He doesn't get quite the redemption arc I, I would have preferred. I anyway, would agree with that. Doesn't matter. Um. So as we yeah, as we move forward here though, uh, there's 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 you know, uh, Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle kind of like pin Harry and Ron back. They discover the uh the Nimbus, which you know it's kind of interesting to me. They like literally like snatch it from his hands and then throw it back. I'm like, this feels like one of those instances where it's just like the. Mer- the remember all all over again like i've got your broomstick potter now i'll see you later yeah <laughs> <laughs> i got my two big games with me um you can't have it back but then um you know even even uh flitwick's arrival you know is sort of like an interesting neutral party here as like you know head of ravenclaw house right he's just sort of like ah oh, yes of course i know about this situation entirely like you yeah. know it's like <laughs> we all had a little good laugh about it of course we'll break the rules for harry for him mean, he I saved know. all of wizard kind i know what would it have been like if snape had been the one to stumble onto them here like potter oh I know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, especially with the first match of the season being against Slytherin, right? Like, right. You know, so it's, it's, I mean, it feels like the type of thing where McGonagall and Snape's rivalry, it almost feels to me like Snape would just be like, hmm, you're not supposed to have that breaking the rules again, as I expected, mm-hmm. um, which also, you know, wouldn't totally surprise me if McGonagall like is, is quietly trying to keep it a secret so that Snape doesn't know. I know, but like clearly if Flitwick knows then Snape must know, must know, must know. Yeah, right. Certainly. Also, they um they Malfoy's uh, personal broom is revealed to have been a Comet 260. Yes, which is uh, just a fun inclusion here because Ron Ron has like an interesting relationship with hating this broom where or just ha- like like uh, this is also the broom that Cho is later riding. Okay. Whenever she gets introduced to the story, she rides a Comet 260 as well. And Ron is all like on her about like being a what uh, a, a fair weather fan for the whatever the tornadoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's yeah, just yeah. like what? No, no, no. Everyone just likes them now because they're good. And it's like like whoever whoever rides the Comet 260, Ron's a little like, what is this? What? No, uh. Uh-uh. But I, yeah. but I like the I like the fact that they like they specifically say comets look flashy, but they're not in the same league as the Nimbus. It's like I feel like this does this. This is almost like um like car guys that I've known throughout my life. I feel like there is something to this kind of thing, like you know, cars that might look fast, but aren't mm-hmm. fast but then like you know then like like a true gearhead knows like oh no he's like this is a car to appreciate because like underneath that hood like it's a it's a sleeper you yeah know, that, that thing can go now um, the two that that is absolutely true but also on that same note harry like one paragraph later is like i have no idea what brooms are but this looks nice <laughs> yeah that, that's a good point that's a good point uh speaking of as we're getting the description of the uh nimbus it says um let's see here it looked wonderful sleek and shiny with a mahogany handle and a long tail of neat straight twigs and nimbus 2000 written in gold near the top um, one of the things I find kind of interesting about this in particular and the wood in particular is that it's mahogany, which is the same as James 
James has wand. Ooh, yeah. Um, which is kind of a fun detail because I feel like Harry's affinity and knack for Quidditch is sort of like reflected through like his his like you know skill inheritance from his father a right. little bit. Um, so it feels like a little bit of like a, a nod there to that. Um, just another side note from from uh, reflecting on the movies. I always kind of felt like the this maybe goes against literally the exact gearhead comment I just made, but the Nimbus always looks the way I feel like the Firebolt is supposed to look yes. in the films. And then the Firebolt comes out and it's sort of got like a much more almost like off-road, rugged, scraggly yeah. appearance. Yeah, know. like the the end of it looks like it's been going so fast that the the bristles are just like sort of blown out looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's like, but that is not at all how it is described in the book where it's supposed to be like extremely sleek, extremely fast, like each twig hand picked. And it's like, that's not, it doesn't look aerodynamic. No, no, it looks, it looks like closer to a broom, but the Nimbus looks like an aerodynamic broom. Yeah. From the moment I remember seeing that as a kid growing up, it was sort of like, it it sort of took this notion that I had in my head of like, witches flying brooms in, in like Halloween posters, Yeah, you know, and kind of being this like silly sort of like, you know, I always imagined like a broomstick, like your, your classic, um, like straw bottom with wooden handle right. like, that you'd find in in like a an actual household broom cupboard, and they showed us the Nimbus, and it was like, dang, it's a vehicle. It's a vehicle. Like, yeah. Now that thing is cool looking, and to this day, I've always sort of coveted one. So. I agree. I think the yeah the way they made the Nimbus look in the first two movies is amazing, and I think the way the Firebolt looks is dumb. And like they also added like the the footrests on the fire on the firebolt, which I Ben I am so anti footrests on broomsticks. Yeah, like I think it is so. It looks like they put training wheels on the broom. Uh, like it's like okay, but you took those off after they turned like four, right? Okay, <laughs> like that's like that's just it's like a kickstand. That's like a kickstand you, for you, your broom. Right, right. Also, they abandoned the entire thing. We we're supposed to be like up to make the brooms fly up. Like, oh right, you right, know, yeah. like uh, th- that is a, never a thing again that's like just the first time they ever ride them <laughs> well it does seem kind of silly unless there would be a situation where everybody's broomstick was already on the pitch but i feel like they always show it to us with all the characters carrying them out yeah there. so it'd be like it'd be like hilarious if you like watch them all walk out set the broomstick on the ground just so they could then summon it back into the right yeah <laughs> to take off um but i could I, I feel like i could actually see a world where you like line up similar to like a, like a soccer match everybody's yeah. like you know roughly in their position and all the broomsticks are like laid out before them and it's sort of like part of the strategic configuration as to how each team kicks off the match it's like everybody's broomsticks start on the ground oh right yeah you, know, like you like, have to like yeah get it off the ground and kick off yeah yeah it's like yeah. it's like the tip off in basketball or something yeah. you know it's like you know there's there's like a little bit of you know the tip off can kind of go either way it's it's the it's like the athletic coin flip you know right so to speak mm-hmm. um which maybe anybody who plays basketball is like that is not a coin flip at all and there's a ton of skill involved with having your best jumper or tallest i'm sure there is yeah, yeah i mean yeah. you know yeah i mean get it to your get it to your point guard right away <laughs> people consider this this is not like just yeah not not total not total chance but either which way yeah we sort of get like a little bit of the introduction you know a little bit more to oliver wood who again as a kid it was a character that i always just like endeared I, oh, I always loved oliver wood oliver wood is great and then his character in the movies is even like better they're like this kid with the irish accent and i feel like 
every girl I knew ever had a crush on Oliver Wood. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just like there's something like just exactly right about, yeah. about how he ends up being in the movies. Like, you make a fair beater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was like, as I was like reading, I was like, does he say that in the book? Because I can't, I can't remember whether or not he does. Um, which, of course, I don't, I don't think he does in, the, in, in here. Oh, he, speaking of basketball, though, this is another one of those just like silly wizard things where Harry's like, oh, that's like basketball, but I'm broomstick with six hoops. And he's like, what's basketball? And I'm like, yeah, you can't, are you telling me that wizard kids don't know any muggle sports at all? Like it seems, it, of course, muggle kids can't know about Quidditch because that whole world's a secret. But like sports are still a big, it, it doesn't, it doesn't track with me that wizards don't follow muggle sports at all. It, it does. Yeah. And you're right, because I do think the perspective shift is very different based on the, like whether or not you're a wizard versus if you are a muggle, because you're exactly right. I mean, you hit the nail on the head, like the statute of secrecy dictates and like primary objective of all wizard kind is basically to exist essentially like unbeknownst to the muggle world, yeah. the magical world. And, um, you know, but like that, that means, you know, I think like Hogsmeade is one of the only, you know, British, uh, exclusive wizard communities. Like even Godric's hollow I've mentioned yeah. this before is like has muggles that live there. So it's like you would have basic exposure just, just by existing kind of like quietly from within these, these right. Like you even if you don't follow it, it seems hard to not know what basketball is, especially because not two paragraphs later, he's throwing golf balls for Harry to catch as stand in snitches. And it's like, okay, you have golf balls, which means you must know that those come from the muggle sport of golf and golf is just much more obscure than basketball. So yeah, yeah, yeah no, it does seem a little bit surprising. Um, and I, I wrote that exact same note down as well, where it's like, well, he knows about the golf balls, but I suppose, I suppose there's some world where he just has small white balls and has no idea what the sport of golf is. Sure. I guess that's possible that he's just like, these are conveniently sized, right? Yeah, this, this is, this is about it. Um, you, this is, this is another one of those occasions like where as you get further into the series and you learn more about like the golden snitch and some of the attached lore of the snitch in particular is that it seems like they are one-time use objects like they're, they're yeah like effectively like created for every single match and and because i mean they they you know like the one that dumbledore will eventually give harry is the one that he'll catch in his first ever match yeah and that has like the the flesh memory attached to it so yeah you know, you know who like wins the contested um you know bout or whatever uh like who touched it first which is also a little bit flawed logic because somebody could like nick it and just not yeah. touch it but right um <laughs> either which way this is like one of those where it seems like the case contains what is otherwise like hogwarts snitch yeah or it's like, just like a like a training snitch or something maybe I guess it must be because yeah right exactly yeah. like it, it what my honest opinion here is that the lore of the snitch had not been properly built out yet and i'm not fussed about that right but i would say at this point in the page as these words were written down i would i would suspect that it had not yet been concluded that every single snitch was unique in its own special way yeah i would i would pretty much agree with you yeah on that yeah. as well uh, moving on, he starts getting to the rules of the game where I just I do. There are so many things about Quidditch that I love and so many things that I'm like, why this? Why is it that way? But um, the, the fact that I love the game design that catching the snitch ends the game that there's not like a set time limit to it. So you could have very long games or very short games. Yep, that is so cool. But the 150 points is just too many. <laughs> like it is just like 
there's there's no way that it's there's like I mean he says it right there an extra 150 points so they nearly always win it just like it makes it feel like the rest of the game which is otherwise so cool like doesn't matter it's just like whoever catches the snitch pretty much gets it you know yeah it's it, it. it needs it, to be like like 30 points and you end the game or something no I but it's it's interesting too because I mean like you will you'll like later on we'll get like the I think the record for the longest match is three months yeah you keep bringing on substitutes so players get could get some sleep, which is just flat out absurd. Three months would be like far too long. People wouldn't be able to continue to spectate. It would just be like, like, and who, who are these like unbelievably inept seekers? I know. That like, you know, the, the snitch can't leave the pitch area and they're just, they're just out there for, for months. They're just months forever. You know what the real problem is? I wrote this out on the other page is that if you've got like, if you're a team, if I, it has to have happened at some point in Hogwarts history, where just like all of the beaters weren't very good. Or something like I, it seems to me that if you're at like you know middle school, high school age Quidditch, there's a lot of games that are severely dictated by the bludgers. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Well, in uh, a couple of thoughts here, because one of the things I was going to say is that simply if the match lasted for three months, then 150 <laughs> points is probably like null and void. Oh, you're right. Yeah, and at that point, it's just like just end the game, man. Right. Just like, I mean, come on. The score could could or would be in the thousands. Um, the other is that. Um, Oliver Wood says, don't worry. The Weasleys are more than a match for the Blooders. I mean, they're a pair of human Blooders themselves. Uh, this is pretty high praise coming from Oliver Wood, who, um, you know, has just become Quidditch captain. And the Fred and George are only, uh, what, they're in their, are they in their third year? Third year, yeah. Their third year, which means that they've only played one year of Quidditch themselves so far. So, yeah. like, as second years, they not only made the team, but were good enough to get this kind of praise, yeah. which is pretty impressive. Um, the other thing I was going to say, though, about the points is um, they do come up in the standings as as something that is otherwise somewhat important. Yeah, that is true that it's like, you know, you, we have to be up by this much and then catch the snitch. So it's sort of like a if you can let your team like even if you could catch it right away, maybe it behooves you in the standings to let your team try and score like as many points as possible before you end the game. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I think I think that could be like one of those where it's sort of like, you know, the, the general thought is that like if you see the snitch, you catch the snitch, like like let that be that. Um, but right. I feel like that that lends a little bit more credence to the thought like, OK, like I saw the snitch, but it's too early based on where we're at in the season. And if we want to be able to move up against this other team, then we have to like, you know, I got to trust my chasers for a little it, while. It seems that there could be some like seriously like ganging up on certain teams. Like if you know that like Ravenclaw's put out a poor team this year and it's like, all right, guys, we're going to try to get to like 1500 points this game. Oh, yeah. All yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah, just yeah. run it up as high as you can. And then, you know, Harry, uh, you know, uh, I'll give you a, if we get over a thousand, just try and catch it at that point. Cool. Cool. <laughs> cool. But even if they catch it at that point in time, we'll be fine. Yeah, we're, we're good because, you know, yeah. we're just we're just going to focus on chasing this game so you just block their seeker all right they've got a what a comet 260 <laughs> they're flashy but not in the same league as the nimbus exactly yeah exactly so anyway that gets us through i think most of uh quidditch for the most part right is there do you have any other thoughts on on that before we kind of move on to the next major because this is almost like two chapters in one chapter it, there is a little bit there's like the quidditch half and then the halloween half that there is just the note that charlie weasley says he could have played for england if he hadn't gone off chasing dragons and it's like i'm really surprised charlie doesn't go to play Quidditch because like it doesn't it always like when they have the World Cup it makes it seem like all these different countries have these like deep deep leagues with extremely professional Quidditch players but then you have Oliver Wood who is by all accounts an amazing Quidditch player and it's on like the B team for what like England Puddlemere or, or Puddlemere United which yeah. doesn't even sound like the like the you know the, the, like a Premier League team or something right it's right. like like 
he's you know backup on a backup team or something. It's like the the pool for recruitment for professional Quidditch teams is not very big because there's only one school in England, you know? Yes, it's exactly. Like where are they recruiting all their Quidditch players from? Like most of the English players must be from Hogwarts, you know? And it's not just England because it's like there's a team for England and a team for Wales and a team for Ireland. So like the those like and probably one for Scotland then. So like those four countries all are reaping players from one school's worth of talent. And it's like no wonder they're not very good or getting thumped by Transylvania or something. Right, you know? right, right. Like, we, we should, I think it's who they lose to on yeah. their path to the World Cup. Yeah, no, you're, I mean, you're absolutely correct. Yeah, I think that that's, that's probably because I mean, yeah, you've effectively got at any given point in time, you know, Hogwarts who has four teams each with about seven players. So, yeah, you know, there, there's a effectively and like 28 players being trained every seven years. Yeah. And it's not like 28 players are graduating every year because they're not all seventh years. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. They're so like maybe on like a good year, like 14 new potential players exit Hogwarts. But you got to think out of 14, not all 14 of them are like pro quality. You know, That's, like they yeah. got to they can't be. Uh, what I'm saying is the pro Quidditch teams really can't be that picky you know about who who they're fielding unless unless it's just the case that like like the, the people who make the school quidditch teams are the cream of the crop but then you've also got like like you know Cormac McLaggen who never ends up actually like truly being on the team for any significant length of length of time but probably could go on to play professionally or like Seamus, you know, sure, I guess, you know, but, the, but then you have the Oliver Wood problem being like on the, the backup squad for Puddlemere. Well, this is true, you this know, is true. although to be fair, this is the other thing, too, because this is the point I was going to bring up is that uh, he says, I wouldn't be surprised if you turn out to be better than Charlie Weasley and he could have played for England. It's like Charlie, um, like, isn't it the case that or is it just the House Cup? Is it the House Cup that they've lost for like so many years to Slytherin? They've lost like seven years in a row to Slytherin, yeah. And, but just the House Cup, but not yeah, the Quidditch Cup. Not the Quidditch Cup. Okay, okay. So maybe it's like the, the big question is if Charlie was so good, then like surely Gryffindor must have been winning the Quidditch Cup. Yeah, you they, think. they were never bottom of the table. We know that much. We know that, yeah. They haven't finished fourth in over a century. Right, right. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, no, I, I don't have a I don't have a grand explanation there. But again, I feel like I've brought this up a couple of times, but Charlie is super prominent in book one. But then I feel like I feel like Charlie gets to own like the first half of Harry's experience in terms of like the the Weasley references. And then yeah. Bill pretty much takes over takes over. The yeah, it's a whole wedding. You know, it's a whole, it's a whole yeah. affair. It's a Mary Fleur. Mary's Fleur de la Cour. Yeah, man. Amazing stuff. Anyway, um, so on to Halloween. On to Halloween. Yes. Um, there, there's an interesting little tidbit here that I always find kind of fascinating because whenever you're reading the story, um, it always comes across as if like Harry is basically having eventful day after eventful day after eventful day. Um, and you know, it's like it's like every, every bit you follow, it's sort of like Snape is always picking on him. Malfoy is always being a problem. Seamus is always doing whatever. You know, like it's, right. it's always something, something, something. And then we get one sentence that just says Harry could hardly believe when he realized that he'd already been at Hogwarts for two months. Right. This is like one of those moments where like the story just takes like one great big step forward. Yeah. Because Otherwise, these books would be like 3,000 pages yeah. long. Basically, it was like, and then Harry went to school and had classes like usual for two weeks. Yes. And it's Halloween. Yeah. And, then, and then it's Halloween. So time has changed. The, the the other important note here is that like you don't get like a great scope of how much the relationship between Hermione and Harry and Ron uh, has been sort of like, you know, wedged. 
But like this, this sort of like notion that two months had passed means that like from the midnight duel until the events of Halloween, like they've basically basically been like cold shouldering each other, right? Completely, like and, and and just completely not getting along. So yeah. So then it also feels like okay, that's a very long time for Hermione to have really not had any friends at school too. That's also true. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. So then we get to a uh, charms class where they're learning Wingardium Leviosa, which it's surprising to me that two months in they haven't done this spell to float feathers, um, but. None, nonetheless, well, Jay, I mean, as Flitwick points out, uh, wizard Barufio, who said S instead of F and found himself on the floor with a buffalo on his chest. Ben, I have so many fun facts about Barufio, the wizard. You put, put, lay them all. Yeah, I'll because, be, cause I was like, first of all, I was like, I like I want at what spell was he trying to do that? The missing that saying like instead of S ended up summoning a buffalo onto his chest like I don't know which because we don't know what the buffalo summoning charm is or whatever he was trying to do, but it obviously wasn't Wingardium Leviosa because that doesn't have any F's in it. So <laughs> what, what yeah. doesn't make sense to me is that it's he specifically said S instead of F and yes. found himself on the floor with a buffalo, a word that notably has F's in it and no s's in it. Yeah. Yeah. So what what did he say? I have I have no idea, but apparently in the French version of Harry Potter, this paragraph goes a little bit differently because whoever was like doing the dub was like trying to play with some alliteration. Okay, but um, it that after you translate it from French, it says remember wizard Barufio who had a speech impediment and whose wife was left with a buffalo on her shoulders instead of a mink. So they like mess it around a little bit, but it introduces Barufio's um, mix up as the result of a stutter rather than or as a as, as a part of a speech impediment, speech impediment. as okay. uh, instead of just like a um, mistake. So that I thought was pretty interesting, um, but then also Barufio comes up later as the creator of Barufio's brain elixir. Yes, which is something that they are. Um, someone tries to sell it to Ron in his fifth year as a way to get like better grades on their like OWLs. OWLs. Yeah, but apparently or if this if you go look on um, Potter, the Wikipedia Barufio's brain elixir did not work at all and pose serious health hazards if improperly brewed. So it seems like Barufio uh, is most famous for making an ineffective potion that does the exact opposite of what it says and for some a buffalo either on himself or his wife's chest um, by um, mispronouncing a word. But then interestingly, despite the fact that Barufio's brain elixir doesn't have a good reputation in the text, there is also do you remember the I'm sure you do yeah, um, Wizards Unite Wizards Unite. Yeah. In Wizards Unite, Barufio's brain elixir was like a and uh, an experience multiplying potion, which made it like one of the best potions in the game. I, that was that was honestly like I got to this sentence and this, this is like one of those moments in, in like, you know, the in the books where I was just like, I've read these books so many times and, and for whatever reason, this entire fragment has never stood out to me before. Like as as I'm like reading through it for for the show, I was like. I've never read this sentence before in my entire life. Like, and, and but then all of a sudden it's like, but surely I have, Yeah, you know, and which is just so this, this would be a question on like a trivia, you know, stream or, oh, or yeah. Jay versus Ben ride back. I have literally no idea, but hopefully now Barufio will be, will be baked into my yeah, brain. You got forever. it. You yeah. got it now. Um, but moving on just slightly from that paragraph though, this is sort of like an interesting little tidbit that I always find to be kind of hilarious about the first book is that, it says it was very difficult. Harry and Seamus switched and flicked, but the feather they were supposed to be sending skyward just lay on the desktop. Um, 
this is just about as close other than like when Harry purchases his wand. This is as close as we ever get to Harry performing a spell in the entire first book. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like like it feels like, you know, you get to see you get to see him like enter the wizarding world. You get to see him experiencing all these first, you know, having his first chocolate frog and birdie bots every flavored bean. Right. And, and he, you know, he does like, some accidental magic. He makes the glass disappear and he oh, flies the broom and stuff like that. Right. Exactly. But like you would think that like the moment that he casts his first spell would be his own like 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 a chapter dedicated to it like like this like remarkable sensation of 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 you know the magic channeling through yeah. him and his relationship with his wand instead no yeah most of his relationship with magic in the first book is like his interaction with magical objects yes like yes. flying on the broom catching the remember all using the invisibility cloak looking at the mirror of air said you know? right right yeah so he interacts with tons of magical things yeah but he, but he never actually like successfully at least on page on page yeah cast a spell, spell. Yeah, um, which you know it's just that you you, you got to bring it up. Then I mean, you of course got the the rather infamous or famous at that, yeah. uh, that rate Wingardium Leviosa. You know it's it's oh yeah I circled that whole exchange. It's that just wrote like who knew how popular this exchange would be. Oh yeah. my gosh, I know. Yeah, like this is this has been made into just like every single punified version of t-shirt. You know, yes, so like if you go to um, Universal Studios and you're walking through Diagon Alley, like you'll see somebody's wearing. A Wingardium Leviosa. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Just one of the best scenes in the movies, um, and really sets up the second half of the chapter where Hermione is correcting Ron on how to do it, and then of course she correctly does it. So that's the worst when someone's like correcting you and you're like hating them for it, but then like they're succeeding and it's like I don't want to listen to you. I, that's yeah. exactly. <laughs> Even it. though clearly I need to. Brr. Yep, yep. That's it's. Yep. Th- this is another one of those kind of like the the crush scene from from earlier. This is like such a classic high school moment where like where, where somebody is just genuinely got some talent in a specific topic like they're they're excelling at something and it's like you may resentfully have to sort of take their advice but like you, it's like i would rather do it wrong i'd rather than, do than, it than accept the way i'd rather do it wrong ah <laughs> nailed it uh, <laughs> speaking of whom the next page uncharacteristically mean is ron where hermione is crying and harry says i think she heard you and he says so yeah, but so, she must have noticed she's got no friends like oh savage Ron. But he, it does it does have the decency to say said Ron but he looked a bit uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I think that this is another relatable middle school high school moment. Like I've said before I think middle schoolers are probably amongst like the most um potentially <sighs> What is it? What is the best way to describe it? Like perceptive. I mean, they're they're highly perceptive, but they don't have like the decency nor like the own personal experience of being on the receiving end of negative comments to filter themselves at all. And so it's like as you're as you're reaching this stage where you have like you you're like social life is becoming a thing for yeah. real. Like elementary school has social life, and kids are like mean to one another, but that's usually more out of like like basic jealousy you know or like i have this toy i don't want to share this toy with you like a lot of like reactional emotions exactly but like i think once you reach middle school you finally reach the stage where you're like able to be mean everybody's in like a very awkward like in between phase where they're not really a kid anymore but they haven't really become an adult yet um it's like it's a it's a difficult and complex age and and uh, that's i mean this stood out to me in particular specifically because that one phrase because it says so said ron but he looked a bit uncomfortable this to me is almost like like ron being like no i have decided that this person is my adversary but like also like i think he's having like a like a small pang of right guilt. like right like, like he's he's like 
testing the waters with being mean. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. But it's like, but he doesn't like the feeling of making right. somebody cry. Is what is what I want to interpret. From yeah, I think you're absolutely right about yeah. that. Yeah. Through the Gryffindor is supported by Rosetta Stone. As much as I love getting lost in a fictional world, I also love traveling abroad and getting lost out in the real world. And by getting lost, I of course mean finding adventure. And just like mastering the intricate spells of the wizarding world, learning a new language can be an adventure all on its own. With Rosetta Stone's innovative language learning programs, you can unlock the secrets of communication from the comfort of your own common room. And Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop or as an app, and it truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. I think where I personally always struggled in school trying to learn a new language is the classes were long and my attention simply would drift, but Rosetta Stone provides lessons as short as 10 minutes. You could even do it during your morning commute, making it perfect for any attention span. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Through the Gryffindor listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Through the Gryffindor is sponsored by BetterHelp. Let me tell you what, I wish I had more time. Between time for family, work, exercise, and household responsibility, life keeps me so busy. So much so that part of my own problem is that even when I do find a window of time to do something just for me, I'm not even sure what I want it to be. Like read a book, take a nap, contemplate the turnings of the world. It's strange, but at some point in time, I may have lost the thread on what I actually want to do with my own time. And that's where therapy can really, truly help. It's one of the primary topics I bring up in my own sessions. How do I recognize my own genuine passions versus what I think the world, family, or social media might want me to do? Finding breakthroughs in this department has been massive. It means my downtime is actually refilling my cup compared to being worn out attempting to keep up in the rat race of life. If you're ever finding yourself grappling with something similar, consider therapy with BetterHelp. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Gryffindor today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Gryffindor. Through the Gryffindor is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. Okay, so are you guys like me? Like where you watch the Avengers, you're like, wow, Nick Fury has no idea how to assemble a team. I would make so many changes. Well, with Marvel Strike Force, you can do just that. Because this game is all about engaging in epic battles, strategically assembling your team of heroes and villains to stop the evil Ultimus. But it is really not just about the battles. I mean, Marvel Strike Force offers an immersive storyline, stunning graphics, and a vast roster of characters to collect an upgrade from Spider-Man to Captain America, Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom to Black Panther, the entire Marvel Universe is yours to explore. So seriously, it doesn't even matter if you're a hardcore Marvel fan or not, or whether you're just looking for like an action-packed RPG experience, download Marvel Strike Force now on the App Store or Google Play Store and join millions of players worldwide and unleash the power of the Marvel Universe on your mobile device. Plus, this is kind of the cool thing and maybe why you want to do it like right now is because the Deadpool anniversary event is going on right now. So there's like weekly events and bonuses. And if you complete each event, you receive special awards and skins and all that fun, cool cosmetic upgrade stuff. And and we have a unique promo code for
for every new user. So please follow the link in our description. That's how they know you came from us and use the promo code MAXPOOL. And once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Um, as we as we scroll down a little bit here, though, we of course learn, um, you know, from Parvati and Lavender that Hermione's crying in the girls' bathroom, which will will is a little bit of you know set up for how they'll know where to go as the scene unfolds a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one that that sort of stood out to me though is um, they're they're there for the Halloween feast yep. where there's you know thousands of live bats flying around the ceiling and all the rest. Um, but it said the feast appeared suddenly on the golden plates as it had at the start of term banquet. This is kind of interesting because it means that the food doesn't always magically appear yeah i wasn't sure i i wrote that down too just said like wait is this not always the case and i think what it means is that like for like a feast they will have all of the plates and stuff just like laid out for everyone in advance and then like all at once they're just like a boom massive amount of food whereas like i think if you come down to breakfast there's like you probably just take a plate and there's like there's a plate of sausages and i'm sure the food magically appeared there but it wasn't like a big like yeah event yeah yeah we're not we're not using the fine gold plate exactly yeah 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 i got you that makes sense um because otherwise not that hair is reaching for anything fancy but he's still going for that baked potato baked potato (laughs) in the wonderful magical world no um this the only note i had about that in particular was like if in the event that it's not always magicked up there, it can't be being delivered by house elves, which we know are the people who work in the kitchens. Yeah, because they don't know about the house elves until year four. Yeah, like they haven't seen them at all. So I think they are still magically sending them up. They're just not like it's not like a, a huge to do. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Less less of like less of the pomp and circumstance there. Okay, right. I'm, I'm I'm totally fine with that. Um, then we've got the scene where Quirrell comes racing into uh you know the great oh, hall. Iconic. <laughs> iconic. Absolutely. This is like one of my favorite uh like clips to use from you know the movies in our SCB videos. But it's just the Troll in the dungeons. I thought you wanted to know. Really demonstrates his spectacular acting abilities. Yeah. Um, because what we what we'll eventually learn is that Quirrell is quite good with trolls. He is quite good with trolls. Even this, even this is quite the performance as well. Because like clearly he doesn't actually. Well, I don't think he actually faints. And um, and he's lying about where the troll is because the troll is not in the dungeons. It's like up on the near the third floor. Yeah. Or, the, yeah. Th- this is yeah. this is like one of those things where it's like the fact that. The, I mean, everybody leaves the Great Hall. All the kids are supposed to be going back to their dormitories. And like the teachers somehow don't find. I mean, maybe what happens is that like the the teachers listen to Quirrell, take him at face value and go to the dungeons. Well, there. I think that's what he's hoping that he's like, let me send as many teachers as possible as far away from where I want to go as possible. Uh, yeah, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah, that's a good point. That makes more sense because what he's trying to do is get through. Yeah, because he wants to go try and get past Fluffy. That's that's exactly. Yeah, it. you're right. You're right. So he's definitely sending him on a, on a fool's errand. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, though, we then know that um, Harry and uh, Ron are now, uh, of course, concerned because Hermione does not know because she's in the girls bathroom and not at the feast. And so then they're sort of like, OK, you know, we're, we're going to have to go and, and look for her. Right. And, you know, yeah, like, let, let her know. We can't we can't like, you know, just like have her face a troll completely on her own, which ends up being great instincts because it turns out exactly where she is, is where the troll is as yep, well. Yep. Classic instincts by Harry. Also, before we get to that, I want to I just this is something I wrote down, which uh, I think we should address is that as far as all the teachers know, the troll is in the dungeon and 
Dumbledore is like, all right, prefix, take your students back to your common rooms and not for nothing, but the Slytherin common room is in the dungeons. <laughs> oh, true. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so he's just like, uh, yeah, all right. Slytherins, you're good. Go to the dungeons. It's fine. That's where the troll is. Don't worry about it. It's yeah, good. Just just if you see it, just go the other way. Just go the other just way. Go the other way. And then I know then when they when they're watching the um uh the the troll that even sees Snape going, he's clearly going to cut off Quirrell or whatever in this moment. But like even Snape, who is the head of Slytherin House, isn't in the dungeon with his students where apparently the troll is. Right, right, right. But I mean, I, and again, to be fair, we know that we we know Snape in particular specifically like being told by Dumbledore to keep an eye on Quirrell yes, we, at this yeah. stage in the process. So yeah. it, it stands to reason that probably what happened was everybody exited the Great Hall. Snape watching Quirrell, knowing that Quirrell is up to no good, saw him stand up and race off in the other direction and then chase them that way as well. Uh, what, what the thing I thought you were going to mention here is that um, Harry and Ron hear somebody coming and they think it's Percy. So they hide behind a large stone griffin, which of course, you know, is the, the yeah. namesake here of mm-hmm. our, of our yes, podcast. That's true. True. The griffin door. Does that mean they're hiding right outside the headmaster's office? They are indeed. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that's my interpretation. No, I mean, it pretty much has to be it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so from, from there, though, um, obviously they uh, th- 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 I find this to be sort of like an interesting turn of events or uh, I don't know, uh, like the writing maybe feels like just a tiny bit clunky because Mm -hmm. they're specifically heading in this direction to find Hermione in the bathroom so that they can warn her about the troll. And basically they start to smell the stench of the troll itself, watch it enter into a room, right? I guess, which maybe they don't know what room it is, but just a room. The room itself has a key already in the lock, Yep. which is kind of like a strange one because it's like if, if you were going to the restroom, it seems like the key would be on the inside right. for yeah. the person in the restroom, yes. not on the outside where somebody could just especially lock students, you in, lock you in. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that seems silly, but so Harry being ever brave uh, jumps forward and locks the troll inside of this room at this point in time flushed with their victory. They started to run back flushed. up the passage. <laughs> ah, nailed it. <laughs> but as they reach the corner, they hear something that made their heart stop. They, literally, they were going in this direction to find Hermione in the bathroom, the very room that they just locked the troll inside right. of upon locking the troll inside of the room. They run away. Yeah, it's like it's, it's like yeah, it's like it's like they've like a band. I mean, maybe it's just like the 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 fact that the troll is there. It's like all right, we I'm sorry, Hermione. Like we gotta we gotta <laughs> we gotta get out of here. Yeah, probably she's not. Maybe she's not. But the thing is, like, yeah, like the, the, they realize that the troll is going into the bathroom, right? Because that's the room they were going to, presumably. That, that's what that's my <laughs> exactly, thought as yeah, well. Yeah, right. Like, and it's like almost, yeah, and you're right. And you're right. Why is there a key in the door? And also, what do you think the key is gonna do to stop the troll from getting out? <laughs> Right, it feels like you the know, troll probably can just the punch troll the can door. just punch the door right through. I mean, yeah, either because I don't think locking the door makes a difference to the troll. Probably so not. Having a closed door is one thing, I guess. Maybe that will deter it. But it seems like locking it is like the the extra step. All they really do is truly trap Hermione in a bad situation. Yes, they, yes, yeah. in fact they do. So anyway, they they wheel around and discover that of course Hermione is now trapped inside of the bathroom with the troll. Uh, at which point Harry and Ron sort of sort of do um you know kind of what Harry, Ron and Hermione will ultimately do pretty much all throughout the series, which is just doing something that is both like th- admirable but also equal parts reckless yeah um you know so they're they you know they they demonstrate like a little bit of their bravery they immediately jump into action where you know it's like okay like we can't let hermione be hurt by the troll we must we must save her right 
um, at, w- at what point in time you know, sort of get that that like neat piece of symmetry where now Ron is using the advice on behalf of Hermione to save Hermione. Right. Even though, yeah, but he, and she only needs saving because of things he said to her. Yes, yes. Yeah, which, it's like this nice sort of like circle and then it's like she she's only trapped in there because they trapped her in there. Yes, so this is this is literally what I wrote at the end of the chapter was I love the almost rock, paper, scissors dynamic the trio has in this particular chapter. None of them are exactly faultless, but together they can all come, they can all overcome each other's shortcomings. Yeah. Um, it's sort of like each of them is sort of like both in the same way that rock, paper, scissors works, it's like they're, they're all like they're completing exactly that, like a circle. Right. It's like they, they all sort of have like a fault that causes something else to happen, that causes a strength to happen, that causes a strength to happen, that causes a strength to happen. Like, and, and then they can sort of like orbit each other and, and like balance right. each other out, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so, of course, you know, <laughs> Harry, Harry jumping on the back of the troll is like the thing where I'm like, well, that was, was yeah. that was, was what that were ever, you hoping what, to do? Was that ever going to work? Right. Um, but then really Ron, you know, is is kind of the hero of the moment here. Ron is the hero. Well, I also like as soon as they get in there, it's like they they walk in the they walk in the room and immediately Harry is just like confuse it. And it's like like it's the first time Harry's like really like in his element, like I'm problem solving in a dark magic situation. Yes. You know, and yeah. I mean, this is just a, it's just a troll in the bathroom, but like he does immediately like assume the role of like the leader and like start barking orders at like Ron, who is just like immediately starts doing what he says. And right. like, they do get to the bottom of it, um, which is good. But I d- what I love about this particular passage is that. Yeah. It's so if you watch the movie, the way this goes down is that Harry's, you know, you know, choke holding the troll or something, sticking his wand up its nose very yeah. effectively. And Ron is over there and Hermione like coaches him through it. She says swish and flick. And then Ron does it and like knocks out the troll. But in the book, what actually happens is that Hermione cowers in fear and Ron does it all by himself. End of story. <laughs> yeah, this is it seemed like this was like a classic um, like film decision which was that like they they take a lot of moments where like ron actually does like manage to shine through a little yeah. bit and and again like you know we we i mean we're kind of far off from really like delving into it too much but like ron's wand here is actively like working against him at least if you like dig deep into the lore like you know right. that his particular wand would and core like that he he because he has his brother charlie's wand yeah uh which again my theory is that because charlie went to study dragons he created his own wand or at the very least harvested his own dragon heartstring sure that he then was able to use for his new wand that's, sure that's my particular that thought as to why charlie would choose a new wand at all um which most of the time is not necessary um but like th- this is like one of those things where like ron's like inability to perform good magic for his first couple of years is in, in large part due to the fact that he is fighting against a wand that does not want to work properly for him. Yeah. Um, so kind of a big win for him because he, he not only is like under extreme pressure, has not successfully done this spell before, um, but is also, you know, dealing with a, the sort of wand that's tying one hand behind his back. So he pulls it off. They knock out the troll. Um, and we start to get the setup here for, um, you know, the, the arrival of all of the, you know, professors yep. um, where Quirrell continues his, his spectacular acting. It says Quirrell took one look at the troll, let out a faint whimper and sat down quickly on a toilet, clutching his heart. Yeah, um, it's we, like it's yeah, it is good misdirect here because he could be just acting or he could be like, you know, 
he could be reacting in this exact way because he's upset that his plan failed. That, you know, like he's true. afraid of Voldemort is what he's actually afraid of right now. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, <laughs> but what I, what I find kind of interesting about this is that like, um, you know, then Hermione sort of like steps in mm-hmm. uh, and she sort of like starts to at least what is described as a lie. But it says, please, Professor McGonagall, they were looking for me. Um, I went looking for the troll because I thought I could deal with it on my own, you know, because I've read all about them. And so like that portion of it is a lie. Yeah. Like Hermione was was crying because of them in the right. first place. But otherwise, the rest of this is actually reasonably accurate. They were looking for her. Right. You know, like Yeah, like, that part is true. Yeah, that's I mean that's that's like exactly, yeah. you know, if they hadn't found me, I'd be dead now. And it's like that's also true. Harry stuck his wand up his nose, Ron knocked it out with his own club. That's also true. Also true. Um, you know, they didn't have time to catch anyone. It was about to finish me off when they arrived. Also true. Yep. Um they, th- but it says Harry and Ron looked as though this story wasn't new to them. It's like, guys, that that is very nearly what just happened. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the the underlying reason why Hermione is in the bathroom is the only piece of the story that's actually been changed at all. Right. Yeah. That, that she went to go hunt it down by herself. Yeah. Um, there's also when Snape arrives there. It says Snape gave hey, Harry a swift piercing look, which I was like, I just made note of. I was like, what, did he do like a quick legilimens on him in that moment? Like what happened? Like, oh. can I read it from your mind? Like. And he go like just confirm with Dumbledore later like here's what happened Professor well or you something know, it, I mean if that's the case it almost feels like this is again a situation where where it's the same as like Ron sort of like resentfully taking Hermione's advice on something because what Snape would see is that Harry and Ron did successfully show up and did successfully save Hermione yeah. Um, you know what though this is this sentence as I'm thinking about it is a almost a little clue that Snape is not the villain either oh because because when Harry first gets there at the Great Hall and like locks eyes with Snape that's when his scar hurts yes and this is them doing it again Snape gave Harry a swift piercing look and then Harry looked at the floor so it sounds like they locked eyes and then he like looked away, but his scar does not hurt this time. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good because point. You could have maybe pieced that together, I suppose. Right. Yeah. Right. No, that's very interesting. But I, I do. I do like your legitimacy thought as well, because yeah. I feel like that's something that like once you know that Snape's had this ability the whole time, it's like you have to imagine that this is just like like Snape is constantly wanting to catch Harry in the act. Right. But he knows Harry is always breaking the rules because he can just read Harry's mind and know that he's doing it. Right. Um, so that certainly seems to be the case. I do. I, this is like another one of those interesting moments, though, from McGonagall where she deducts five points from Miss Granger only to give to the points back to um, Ron and Harry. Yeah. Sort of like an interesting like like uh, like ledger that she's holding. It's like, well, that's five points from you. Now, five points to both of you. And right. It's like, it's almost like one of those things where she could have just awarded them both five points, like as a collective, like um, right. Ron, you have earned five points or whatever, but I don't know. Yeah, I think it's kind of the, the point system again continues to be like a little bit interesting here. <laughs> yeah, it also just seems like five points isn't enough to be. It seems like she should have taken more from it just seems like maybe it all would have evened out the same, but it also just feels like five isn't enough to have taken from Hermione and it's not enough to have awarded Harry and Ron. Yeah. Yeah. This, again, yeah. this goes back to like the first year thing that where it's like, I wonder if on some level, like, you know, in, in everyday, like, because I mean, we, we know that they take like single points from first year. So yeah. it's like, is five points almost like the maximum you could or could not award shy of being the headmaster who was able to just hand out fifties as well. No, because McGonagall takes 50 points from 
you're all right. three of them later on. So you're it could be right. it could be more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's just for being out of bed, right? When she takes it from the next time, right? This seems worse. Yeah, or better, this seems worse and better. Yeah. So it doesn't seem like the five is unusual uh, here at this point. And the, I mean, Harry, I mean, Ron complains about the same thing. He says we should have gotten more than ten points. <laughs> like I'm like I'm with you, man. Yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree. Um, so anyway, though, yeah, as, as we trudge forward, though, the the fun and kind of exciting into this particular chapter is that is is the phrase. But from that moment on, Hermione Granger became their friend. There are some things you can't share without ending up liking each other, and knocking out a twelve foot mountain troll is one of them. I know. I Yay. love it. I, I know. Love it. The golden trio has been formed, and it took boom. More, it took more than half the book to get it there. It really does. Yeah, you're now we're, we're at chapter 11 and finally Hermione is part of the group proper. Yes, yes. Jeez. So it's very interesting. Um what what I also find to be kind of interesting about how Hermione has been like portrayed up until this point is um it's not like you know how like it's uh, it's almost the case that like all Slytherins are like like pig-headed or or you know like they all have like names that seem kind of like hard just like or, rude or something yeah. It, yeah 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 it's like hermione has not exactly been depicted out of character so far this is almost more like a matter of allegiance because i feel like hermione stays pretty true to even how we've seen her up until this point like following rules continues to be something that's important to her she continues to be you know like like more knowledgeable or you know if you want to call her a know-it-all um moving forward but like it's it's sort of like the underlying um way in which she now interacts with the other has this like respect involved right so i I think it's actually like pretty like pretty well crafted for for hermione you know up until this up until this point yeah it's like she's finally able to like check herself and it's like there are times where breaking the rules is the right thing to do yes yeah yeah yeah, absolutely so yeah well it's um, it's it's worth it to lie on their behalf because they saved my life exactly yeah exactly so very exciting stuff golden trio has been forged yay um and that'll round off chapter 10 halloween for us. It will. That will uh, round it off. What did you think of the chapter art for this chapter, Ben? Oh, it is if we go back to the front, the first page here, it's basically just the troll dragging his club around. I mean, I thought it looks like it looks pretty much exactly like the chapter describes it, but I always think in this particular chapter art, he looks just like kind of happy. Like the, the troll does look like like a little bit more um, lovable maybe um then then like you would sort of imagine a troll to be i also always sort of love and i mean i don't know, i have no idea why but like you know when when uh harry gets like the troll bogeys you know on his uh, on his wand he it says i think that he like wipes it off on the troll's trousers and this i, don't, I have literally no idea what fascinates me so much about the fact that like within the troll community as as like you know, dim as they may be, they have still been able to like fashion garments. Yeah, they still have pants. They still have pants or whatever. And I also, I, yeah, I know. I'm just noticing the vest for the first time as I'm looking at it. Like this troll really got dressed. I mean, he is wearing pants with a belt even like went as far as that and then not only put on a shirt but also added the vest right i mean like, that's fashion this, this guy is like he's he layering i know he's like it's how it's an occasion it's halloween i'm about to go torment a castle it's gonna be great yeah 
Yeah. yeah. So yeah, he's layering. Yeah. yeah. So no wonder he looks like he's in such a good mood. It's like, uh, yeah, I, I like the chapter art of this one. It's fun. It's I, fun. I like the chapter art. Yeah, it's yeah. a good one. It's a good That's one. Good. Um, and I am I am also very excited as we turn the page uh, and look look forward to chapter eleven, which will be titled Quidditch. Oh, I know. I always love the Quidditch matches in the books. Like it's very fun reading what's happening. Like just um, I get invested in the games. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It'll be curious to see how how it plays out from like a um, an analysis standpoint. Mm-hmm. Though, is, is there as much to take away from from the Quidditch chapter? We'll have to wait and see. We shall have to wait and see. Would meantime, you like to hear a review? I would love to. I would excellent. Love to. All right. So um, we got a review um, just yesterday as I'm reading this from Shark Attack 117. Nice. I Great know. Five stars. Five stars. They said absolutely phenomenal. Hey, brother. Love your show on YouTube. Amazing podcast. I have a suggestion for what if what if Barty Crouch was able to get to Dumbledore? You guys are the best voice for commentating Harry Potter and a lot of other stuff too on your show. Also, I drive Uber and this podcast has really helped me stay focused and listen to something while I drive. It's amazing to hear your thoughts. I wish I was able to contribute some of my own thoughts on the Harry Potter world. So one, I love that whoever gets in your Uber has to listen to this podcast. That's, That's amazing. amazing. That's yep. Thank you for spreading the word. Yes. Great, great way to do it. Yes. And great. What if as um, what what if Barty Crouch had gotten to Dumbledore because it's like uh, in many ways there's no almost no reason he couldn't have just yeah I mean he's around Dumbledore all the time skipping ahead a little goblet fire yeah no it's 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 a very good question because I mean this is this is sort of like one of those one of those moments where like the the like you know the phrase like you know don't don't shoot the messenger or whatever but in this case the messenger does not make it um and and Barty Crouch Jr. has sort of like turned the tide on his father you know who is then now sort of like kind of kind of like just lost in the you know the forbidden forest yeah and, and oh gosh maybe i'm not even i was thinking what i you know what i was reading this question as if what if barty crouch jr had been able to like kill dumbledore but oh. i suppose the question is what if barty crouch senior had been able to like tell dumbledore yeah. that barty crouch jr had escaped and was alive Oh man, that is a much better question. Okay, it, it's That's a great better. question. Yeah, no. That so I, I mean that. Yeah, I mean it's 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 certainly something that I think you could you could delve into pretty aggressively to be like because because the the big question in sort of like when we go into um, some of the facets of like Dumbledore's big plan mm-hmm. and everything to do with um, like how what am I trying to say here. Um, how how Dumbledore is like constantly like really aware of everything that's happening in the castle. I mean, even even what we know eventually from Deathly Hallows is that from the very beginning, you know, uh, of the school year, Dumbledore tells Snape, "Keep an eye on Coral for me, won't you?" Which w- basically suggests that like throughout the whole first book, Dumbledore knows he has a double agent living, yeah. breathing, teaching in his school. Right. Like I don't. I don't. I would. Suspect he doesn't know as much as Voldemort is living on the back of his head. Uh, maybe not. Like maybe yeah. he's more like like generally suspicious. I mean, Harry speculates at the end of this at the end of this very novel that we're reading right now that you know I I, I feel like uh, Dumbledore knows everything that goes on inside these walls. You know, yeah, to, to some extent or another. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which which again is a very a very curious thought as to like how much does he know is I don't think on. he knows every everything like he certainly has no idea how serious black is breaking into the castle in a few years that's true that's you true know? and he does seem genuinely shocked that that Mad-Eye Moody and maybe this is like one of those things where like Dumbledore has so much faith in Mad-Eye as a wizard uh, you know inside of book four that that he doesn't think to question 
you know, the possibility right. that he could have been like overtaken. Yeah, like Voldemort's trying to use Dumbledore's like ability to trust people against him. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it's 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 particularly interesting because I mean it would it would probably I mean, it would ward off at the very least the fact that Moody is the one who takes the cup to the middle of the maze. I mean, so, they, yeah, I mean, at that point, yeah, oh, I guess they still wouldn't know it's Moody, would he? Even if he knew Barty Crouch Jr. was like loose. True. Right. So it doesn't necessarily mean that he would even like be able to sniff it out. Right. But he would be suspicious of the fact that somehow, some way, somebody, um, you know, was able to get Harry's name inside of the goblet. Right. You know, and, and that's the type of thing. It's, he it's, almost certainly is aware that Barty Crouch Jr. is the culprit for the Goblet of Fire. Yes. Yeah. And we, and yeah. then it's like, the, but how did he get into the school? Like, he must have been there. He must be there somehow. But then then I, this, this is like where it's like you have to credit Dumbledore's wisdom enough with the, with the thought of, He's able to suss out a lot of things. Yeah. Who's new this year? Right, exactly. So, yeah. But then it's like there's all those like like Karkaroffs there, you know. True. Like he is investigating Karkaroff and Ludo Bagman and stuff at the same time. So it's like, hmm, was it one of them? Is one of them? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, could he? Yeah. What do you think Polyjuice Potion was at play? I don't know. I guess he could put, if he put like Snape on alert that someone was making polyjuice because Snape realizes that polyjuice potion ingredients are stolen from him. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So it'd be like, does he does he go to Dumbledore with that information? I can't remember. I don't know. He complains to Harry about it. He does. Yeah. Like swing flies. Boom. Someone is making polyjuice potion. Feels possible. I mean, again, this is like where you don't assume that Snape would necessarily be telling everything to Dumbledore. But when you know that Dumbledore is acting alongside Snape so directly it's like it seems very possible they might be having meetings that be like someone's stealing Polyjuice potion yeah well this what if okay so this this what if really goes back to so if Barty Crouch Jr. had been able to get to Dumbledore it's because Barty it's if Barty Crouch Sr. had been able to tell Dumbledore like that would have happened if Barty Crouch Jr. didn't have the map Right, like the reason he's able to interfere is because he has taken the Marauder's map from Harry. So the real question is, what if he doesn't take the map? Because then Harry still has the map and would know that Barty Crouch Jr. is the bad guy, maybe. Yeah, we're gonna. The, we're, yeah, who knows? We're yeah. gonna need to go spend more time with it. Anyway, yeah. it's a great. It's a great question. Who was who was our our reviewer here? Shark? Um, it, I don't know. If it's a Shark Attack One Seventeen. Shark Attack One Seventeen. Amazing, yeah. amazing. Um, well, thank you so much for a very thoughtful question. I mean, we got to just keep a lookout because I feel like this could certainly be a video sometime. In the I know it could be. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a that's a good one to break down, and I'm surprised. I'm, I, it, it's amazing to me that you know, it, as it always is with the Wizarding World, that we keep finding new ways to discuss the story. I know. So, yeah, very fun. Um, but anyway, guys, thank you so much as ever and until next time we will see you through the Gryffindor